0: Greetings in Our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a covenant renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording.
1: The call to confession this morning is from Mark 7, verses 21 to 23. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. We will never understand our struggle with sin unless we grasp that at its very core, sin is a heart problem. It is not first a problem of bad behavior, although it always goes there. It's not first an external temptation problem, although sin causes us to give in to temptation's draw. It is not first a location or situation problem, although sin expresses itself there. Sin is a matter of the heart. The Bible uses many terms to describe the inner, spiritual, thoughtful, desiring, motivational part of mankind. But all those terms are gathered together and summarized by one big Collective term, heart. It is one of the most often used terms in the Bible, and it's helpful to understand it to be the causal core of each of our personhood. The heart is the seat of our thoughts, emotions, and motivations. It is our worship center. The heart is the reason we do the things we do and say the things that we say. We literally live out of our hearts. But the problem is, sin lives in our hearts. And because it does, it corrupts our thoughts desires choices and motivations we were created to be servants of god but sin makes us lovers of ourselves we were made to worship the creator but sin causes us to worship the creation we were designed to live for god's glory but sin caused us to make life all about our own glory unless these things change in our hearts our behavior will not change at all or if it does change it will not change for very long No amount of commitment to self-reformation will change our heart. No amount of work to alter bad habits will change our heart. No amount of beating ourselves up with guilt and shame will change our heart. No running from certain situations, locations, or relationships has the power to change our heart. The most outrageous acts of penance in the world are powerless to do what needs to be done. Radical transformation of our heart. So we are left with only one final option... It is the only choice that makes sense. Fully trust in the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Only he has the power to change us, to sanctify us, and to purify our hearts. Yes, we must fight sin's manifestations in our lives. But it is rejection of the gospel when we trust in our outward acts of self-change as a cure for our sin problem. Far from rejecting it, let us rest in the gospel. The cleansing of our hearts is not our work. It is God's. That is why David cried out to him, Create a clean heart in me, O God. Let us draw near to him then for that cleansing. If you are willing and able, please kneel with me as we confess our sins to God.
2: Context. Um, We've been going through the uh, Matthew, going through the Sermon on the Mount um, at Christ the King, and uh, it's always helpful to kind of understand the context of where um, the text is that that we're going through today and uh, see what's going on. So um, in chapter 5, if you've read through chapter 5, and I'm assuming that you probably have, um, it was broken up, chapter 5 is broken up into Three different parts, and the first is the Beatitudes, and we've, you know most of us are familiar with the Beatitudes, um, which describe the characteristics of what a Christian looks like. Um, it describes the characteristics of a Christian, one of Jesus' disciples. And then the second part of Chapter Five was about the role Christians have in the world as salt and light. Okay, so they're salt, they're light. This is the role that Christians have in the world. What does it mean to be salt, preservative in the world? What does it mean? be light in the world um, shining you know revealing sin and all of those things and then the world's response to that which oftentimes is actually persecution and so you look at the beatitude and you look at all these great characteristics that and you think who would persecute somebody who has all of these characteristics and yet that's just exactly what the, the world does because they they hate God they hate the world or they hate uh, Christ Okay? And so the third part of chapter 5 was that the Christian's relationship to the law of God. And where Jesus goes through and interacts with the misinterpretations of the law by the scribes and the Pharisees. And he does that by saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Okay? And he's not correcting the law. He's correcting the interpretation, the false interpretation of the scribes and the Pharisees. As they have misinterpreted uh, the law. And so, he gives, Jesus goes and gives the spirit of the law, the deeper keeping of the law, what that really looks like, you know, where it really hurts us. It's hard to keep the law in Jesus' definition there, okay? Now, as we move into chapter 6, now we go into a new section of the Sermon on the Mount, and it's here that we see a picture of Christian living in this world, really in the presence or before the face of God, quorum deo, before the face of God our Father, And in verses 1 through 18, you see a Christian's religious life and his life of piety, the inner spiritual life of a Christian as he lives in this world. And then in verses 19 to the end of the chapter, his relationship and life in general, kind of his everyday life and what that looks like. Okay, So that's kind of the context in which Jesus is speaking here. So in Jesus' day, there were three signs or three acts of piety that a good Jew would participate in. And they were gifts to the poor prayer, and fasting. Okay, so three things, three acts of piety that a good Jew would do, gifts to the poor, or almsgiving, okay, prayer, and fasting. And these are the three things that Jews did to show their piety, to show their holiness, to show their righteousness before God. And Jesus mentions these here, so that's where we're going in chapter 6, and just in the beginning part of chapter 6, and we're just going to look at giving today, really. Um, but, that, so, Jesus recognizes these things, but we, all, we also need to understand here, following all that Jesus was saying in, in chapter 5, that the acts themselves, there is no merit in doing just the acts themselves. Okay? Just giving, just prayer, and just uh, fasting. There's no righteousness just in doing those things. Does that make sense? Okay? So you can go you can have all sorts of false religions that practice these things and they're not meriting anything with God because they do that, okay? So just for the sake of doing them there's no merit. And Jesus wants to go to the deeper level of those things. To what is the point of doing things? Things, what is the heart of the man that is doing them? What is the purpose that is there? Are you doing these things for the right reasons? In other words, are you doing these things to please yourself? Or you're doing these things to please God. Are you doing these things to build yourself up, or to glorify God and build Him up? Okay. And as always, Jesus cuts to the heart and He lays us open, um, lays open our own sinfulness and our need to repent of our sin. Now, in these four verses, there are four words, four important words that you want to key into that Jesus uses. So, first one is hypocrisy. The second one is Father. Third one's reward. Okay, and then when. All right, when. So let's take a look at when first. So when you look at that word when, Jesus doesn't say, in other words, if you do a charitable deed when you give to the needy, okay, or if you pray, or if you fast, he says when you do all of these things. So Jesus isn't taking these things that are that the Pharisees are holding up and saying these are the three acts of piety that make a good Jew and all of that. And we're just going to chuck those aside. Okay, That's not what Jesus is saying. He takes them and then he says here's how they really are to be done. Okay, Here is how the heart is to be for a man who is doing those things. So Jesus in other words is assuming that Christians, his disciples will continue doing these things. So when we do, he wants his disciples to do these with the right heart, the heart of pleasing God, the heart of glorifying God, not to be seen by men and glorify ourselves. OK, and that's what Jesus is getting at. So in verse one, verse one is really an introduction to, to chapter six. And I read out of the New King James Version, and I don't think they that the authorized version, the New King James Version, King James Version does a very good job of translating this. OK. Um, all the other versions, the ESV, the NIV, the NASB, they all translate it in a different way, and I think they're correct in that, okay? So that's bigger discussion for other times. So. so it says, take heed or beware that you do not do or practice your righteousness, okay? Practice your righteousness before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven, okay? That's how it should read. In the New King James it says, uh, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men. But righteousness is probably a better word to put in there, okay? In other words, you don't want to be showing your righteousnesses before men, okay? And, uh, so, and it's introducing the rest of the, the, those three attributes that, that signify piety. And so we are to be doing these things... Of giving, prayer, and fasting, but with the right motivation, the right heart, a heart to worshiping God. And here we also want to be reminded as well that this ties back to chapter 5. So Jesus is preaching in context. And in Matthew 5.20, it says that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so that's still very important to what Jesus is saying. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay? So that's what Jesus is preaching on in chapter 5. He's continuing that on into chapter 6. In other words, he doesn't just end that in chapter 5, but it's going on. And he's showing his disciples what that means. And so as he continues on in that, when he says don't practice your righteousness before men to be seen by them, He is implying that there are those who do that. And who are those that do that? It's the scribes and the Pharisees who go into the temple. And they want to be seen by men praying. And so they do these big prayers out on the street or in the temple. They want to be seen by men. And so they go and they make a big show giving into the alms box when they go into the temple. Right? Okay? So that's what they're doing. They, They want to show themselves when they're fasting. And show that they're really suffering. Okay? And Jesus says, No. Okay? So, who are these people that are doing that? Who are sounding a trumpet and all of those things? It's the Pharisees. And he's saying, Don't do this. Look, your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Okay? And when you do these things, don't do it for the praise of men, to gain glory for yourself for men, but give to the needy. Pray. Fast. I want you to do all these things. I want you to continue to these things. But The heart motive needs to be there. The right spirit needs to be there. Now, it is these hypocrites in the synagogues that do the big showy stuff, okay, and out on the streets who seek the praise of men. That's really what they're doing. They're seeking the praise of men to build themselves up so that they can be glorified and everybody can say, man, what a pious person that is, okay? Those are hypocrites. They want other men to think well of them. They want to puff themselves up. And so they give, but they aren't doing it as an act of worship to God. They aren't giving for the love and concern of the needy, but to be seen by other men. And they think just in doing this, okay, and this is Jesus' whole argument in chapter 5 about the law. They think that there is merit just in doing these acts and stuff. And so they're building up relations. You know, God is saying, oh, well done, good and faithful servant, because you did this act of piety. Okay? No. Why are you doing it? goes deeper than that it goes deeper than the outward action now what is a hypocrite where do we get that word from well we have some classic hypocrites in our culture and that is all the actors in Hollywood because that's really where we get the term hypocrite from what is a hypocrite it's an actor okay and so we get that term from the play actors in the Greek world, and it's someone pretending to be something or someone they are not. Okay? Someone pretending to be something that they're not or someone that they're not. Okay? Someone who goes through the motions and plays a role even though that really isn't who they are. Like a, an actor, right? You get that? It's a great picture. Now, when we go to a play or watch a movie, we want to see really good hypocrites, right? We want to see excellent hypocrites because that makes for a good show, right? But we don't want to see hypocrites in everyday life, right? We don't like it when it comes down to everyday life. We don't like them, those who pretend to be what they are not. Now, In particular here, Jesus is talking about the scribes and the Pharisees, like I said. But it goes beyond that. It's not just the scribes and Pharisees. He's saying it's to anybody, and it can be you, disciples. Okay, when you do that, anyone who is portraying to have a greater piety than we actually possess. So, hypocrisy is pretending to be something that you are not. And for Christians, we are hypocrites when we don't, when we pretend certain things about ourselves, like we pretend that we don't sin, right. And we, we can do that with the people that we work with or the people that we interact with. We pretend like we're really holy and we, we pretend like we're, we're portraying to the world that we've got it all together and we really don't sin and we're not willing to confess our sins even to our pagan co-workers or our pagan friends and stuff like that when we sin against them. Because we're holier than that, right? We're, we're pious. And we may even say, you know, kind of give the impression that we used to be sinners but now... I'm not, really, okay? That's a hypocrite because we're all sinners, right? And we all continue in sin. Now, we can so subtly do this. We can be like this so subtly in our conversations because we can work in masterfully how we did this to this person or did that for this person or we gave this or that or we went to jail and helped out these poor souls and we're just throwing these things into conversations so we can be building ourselves up, Right? But we never, this is, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road, okay? We never post out on Facebook our sins, do we? Right? Does so anybody ever do that? You know, I just yelled at my husband. I was just a real jerk to my wife. Anybody ever do that? Right? So, Facebook is a perfect place to show hypocrisy. Okay, we're always painting the best picture, right, on Facebook of who we are. Okay, and that's what we do, right? Because we wanna, we want everybody to see how everything's going so well in our lives, and we can post out all sorts of stuff that's very pious-looking and all of that, and people that you know know us and everything can, can think well of us, right? We put our best face in places like that. And, and that's just a demonstration of our greater life because we do that in our everyday life with people as well. And so we just heap up these pious things that we've done so that people can see how good we are. And it, and it, and it doesn't have to be just in our giving. It can be anything that we do. It's where we try to show others how righteous we are. And our goal is to get another person to think that we are more holy or educated or smarter or how we do things like nurse our babies or we don't nurse our babies or how we eat this food and don't eat that food. And by eating that, I'm more pious than the other person because I eat organic and non-GMO food and this person over here doesn't. And so that makes me a little more holy and pious. Or how we often read the scriptures or we have them memorized or we pray this time many times a day and we can do all of those things. You see, we all have this need to feel superior to others. And to get other people to think that we've got it all together. That we're better than what we are. That we're something when we're not. That's hypocrisy. And Jesus is rebuking us for that okay, he's rebuking us for that, and when we do that, we're not being pious, okay, we're just not, we're not being pious, we're not being righteous, we're not seeking a reward in heaven, we've had our reward, says Jesus, we have our reward from men, okay, now, do you do that? Do I do that? yes. Yes. We need to be willing to, to examine ourselves and see, see where we're being hypocrites. And to, to repent of that. And as you put together a sermon like that, all these things, I mean, I list off a number of ways that I do that. Okay, We can all fall, fall prey to this, and this simple tendency to draw attention to ourselves and to portray ourselves in a certain way that makes us look the best whatever situation we find ourselves, that's not being poor in spirit, as Jesus says in the Beatitudes, right? That's not being poor in spirit. That's not mourning over our sins. It's puffing ourselves up. So, that's the wrong way, says Jesus. That when you give to the needy, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory for men. Surely I say to you, they have the reward That's the wrong way, says Jesus. So what's the right way to give? Well, what's the right way to portray yourself? In verse 3 and 4, Jesus says, But when you do a charitable deed, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Okay, so... You see, when you don't have your own glory in mind, then it doesn't matter if people see you. When you don't have your own glory in mind, it doesn't matter if people see you, okay? You don't have to get your name put on a building on a university campus, okay? It doesn't matter. You can give anonymously for that, right? And still get the job done, right? You can be an anonymous giver. You can do that in many different ways, right? Okay? But notice that Jesus also says it. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And when you think about that, that's kind of weird. Right? Same person. Right? He's saying don't even let yourself know what you're doing. Okay? That's how secret it should be. And how can that be? That's, that's kind of strange. Right? So Jesus talks in strange ways like that to get us thinking about these things. Right? And so we should be giving in such a way that it should just be so natural that we don't even have to think about it. We we don't even think about it. It's just flowing out of us. It's who we are in Christ. We are, you know, we've been redeemed by Christ and we just want to give like He gives, okay? We do that. A good way of thinking about that is musical instruments, right? When you first start playing a musical instrument, right, you have to think about everything that you do, Right? You have to think. When you're playing the guitar, you have to think about this finger goes here, and I strum like this, and you have to think about it, right? Or playing a piano, you have to think, where is my finger going, right? Or playing a horn, how do I work my mouth and stuff to make, right? You have to think through those things. But once you know those, once you become accomplished at those things, it just flows out of you. It becomes such natural part of you that you don't even have to think about it, right? It's just coming out of you. Right? It's the same way in sports. <clears throat> you know? Why do you practice for sports? You know, when I was in wrestling, we practiced move after move after move. We had all these different moves that we had to practice. And we did it slowly at first, then we did it a little faster, then we do it full speed and everything. But we're doing it over and over again so that our body becomes accustomed to it so when we're in a match, we don't even have to think. We just do a fireman's carry. Or we just do a full Nelson. No, not a full Nelson. That would be bad. Half Nelson. Okay? And we just do all of those things without even thinking about it so that we can pin our opponent. Okay? So, it becomes, giving just needs to become second nature to us. And that's the thrust of what Jesus is saying in Matthew 25, 37 to 40. Right? This is where Jesus is saying to those who are on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for I was hungry and you gave me food I was thirsty and you gave me drink I was a stranger and you took me in I was naked and you clothed me I was sick and you visited me I was in prison and you came to me and you remember what they said the righteous what did the righteous say Lord, when did we do these things right when did we do that they hadn't kept track of those things right they weren't keeping score of all of those things. They didn't put a check mark in their Bible to, to check it off and say, oh, I did this pious act. They didn't even remember. The left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing. That's, that's what Christ is saying here. It wasn't their goal to get glory for themselves. Now, does that mean that we never should be seen giving to someone or praying in public? you know, never no we can we can't do that our giving will be seen by people okay jesus pointed and our praying should be seen by people as well at times otherwise we wouldn't be able to pray publicly here right okay so prayer giving those things will be seen by other people and all of that okay but jesus point is don't do it in order to be seen by men Don't parade around in order to be seen by men and think well of you, so that they would think well of you. If that's your goal, then you can achieve that very easily. You can just give, give, give money away. You can achieve the praise of men. But you have your reward then, says Jesus. See, giving in secret, though, that can also be a subtle temptation to us. We might keep score about how many gifts we've given... In secret, and how many righteous acts we've done. And we keep score in our own heads, right? And we think that we're meriting more with God because we're giving in secret and all of those things, okay? And if we're righteous, we know that we shouldn't do that, and so we give in secret, but then sin enters in and we can even announce it to ourselves, is what I'm getting at, right? To think highly of ourselves and our pride says, nobody even knows that I gave this million dollar gift to the university. Now I've been really righteous because I haven't even let anybody know. right? See, that's the subtlety of sin. And so we score one for ourselves, we've awarded ourselves, and we've received the praise. We've received the praise from ourselves. Or maybe we received it from our wife. That's how subtle and tricky sin can be. Now what about this term reward that's there? Jesus uses it here frequently in the first 19 verses, okay, I don't remember how many times it is, like 8 or 10 or 12 times that Jesus uses the term reward, or the word reward. Should we be thinking about getting a reward from our Heavenly Father? You know, well, Jesus brings it up here, so it seems like he thinks that we should be thinking about that, okay, that we should be thinking about the reward, So we often think, and I do this, that we shouldn't seek after a reward from God. We should just do things out of a genuine heart. And there is truth in that. Okay, there is truth in that. But Jesus tells us to look to the reward as well. Like an athlete who trains and runs for the prize. And I think a great example of that is Eric Little. Okay, chariots of fire, if you've ever seen that. You know, he's running, and he says it, I'm running for the glory of God. And he throws his head back and he's running. He he says he feels the pleasure of God smiling down on him when he runs. Okay? That's his first goal is to please God. And as a result of that, he receives a reward. Is he happy over the reward or does he just chuck it? No, he's happy over the reward. Right? But his number one goal is the glory of God. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 9.24, Do you know... "...that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize, run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things." Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. We need to be running for the imperishable crown. Okay, Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.7, "...I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord." The righteous judge will give me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Okay? That's a reward. Jesus looked to the reward from his Father. And we see that in Hebrews 12 too, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The, the reward that he received was that he now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's his reward. Moses looked to the reward, Hebrews 11. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Okay? And so it's okay for us to look forward to and to strive after the reward of our Heavenly Father. But what is our reward? What is our reward? What are we working towards? In Genesis 15, 1, God tells Abraham, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Jesus says, Just sit in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Right? And John tells tells us in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we, sh- we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Okay, what greater reward could we have than to receive God himself? And to be like him. Right? To be with Him for eternity. To see Him face to face. That is the beatific vision. To see Him face to face. We long to hear from our Heavenly Father. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Right? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Right? That's a reward. That is a great reward. Can you think of anything greater than that? More glorious than that? To dwell with the Lord Almighty the triune God, to see Him as He is, to be like Him, and that means without sin, we don't have to deal with those subtle temptations anymore, right? That is reward indeed. Is it not? We see the final important word here, Father, which is important for this day, since this is Father's Day, right? Okay, so Father is an important word here. Our Father in Heaven, Okay? Jesus talks about our Father in Heaven here. First of all, note that He is present with us in whatever we do. Whatever we do, He is watching us. Okay? And whereas you might be able to hide things and hide hide your sins from your earthly Father and from other people in your life, you hide nothing from your Heavenly Father. He sees all. He sees it all. You see, at the end of verse 4, you read, Your Father who sees in secret. Your father who sees in secret. So, any secret thing that you do, he sees all of that. You're not hiding anything from him. He sees all. There's nothing that he doesn't see, notice, either good or bad. He sees it all. Don't think that you're fooling him. But here's the good news the good news is that he is also our father. He is our father. And just as our earthly fathers chasten us, forgive us. Right? And all of those things. So does our Father who art in heaven. He sees all, but he is our Father. And if we're in Christ and we're trusting in Jesus, he rewards his children. Just like a father would reward his child. Right? So first, he rewards us with salvation. Through his son, Jesus, and what he has done on the cross. And through his resurrection, and through what we have been covered. Through what, uh, how we have been covered in Christ's righteousness. That's reward. We can't stand on our own, but through Jesus we can. Because our sins have been covered and removed from us. And that's what we're called to believe by faith. To trust in. Jesus finished work that he alone could accomplish. And today we're called to believe that and not harden our hearts. As the Israelites did in the rebellion but to humble ourselves. It's only through that work that Christ has done that we are able to be called children of God. But as children, we are also heirs. Right? Children are also heirs. And heirs receive the reward, and the reward is to inherit all things. To inherit all things. Now, there's also levels of rewards. We see that in 1 Corinthians 3.11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's works will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and fire will test each one's works of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. Now, I don't know exactly what all of this is talking about, but there are different levels of rewards. And just so we don't misunderstand, it's not talking about salvation here. It's not talking about justification here. That's the foundation of Jesus Christ that he has laid. There is you can't build, you can't make that foundation yourself. It's already been laid in Christ. Okay? But in our lives, we build on that foundation. Just as Paul says, as we hunger and thirst for righteousness sake, or we don't. Right? We either do that, or we don't. Right? We are called to not be stagnant. To not stagnate and be saved, yet as though through fire. He calls us to strive. Right? To Walk in righteousness, right? That's what we are called to do. That does—that's not saving us. That is our work of sanctification. That is our work of seeking to glorify our Father, because we love Him, because He first loved us and sent His Son for us. And so, because of that, we press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ—to run and not grow, grow weary. Okay, To grow into maturity in the faith, serving others, loving others because of our gratitude for what our Lord has done. And what has He done? Well, we get to experience what He's done as we take the Lord's Supper. You know, Christ's body was broken for us and His blood shed on our behalf so that we may not have to be broken. And that is, a reward is not so let us look to him, trust in him, and rest in his goodness and his mercy to us. And let us humble ourselves enough to be able to say, I am a sinner in need of your grace. Okay? Let's pray. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. We thank you for this text which cuts to our very heart. Lays us open. O oh Lord. We pray that you would chasten us and rebuke us and train us in righteousness so that we may walk faithfully before you out of a love for you. O Lord, produce that burning passion in us, we pray. Help us to hunger and thirst after righteousness. O Lord, we pray. Strengthen us and equip us for every good work that we may walk worthy of you with joy and thanksgiving, for you have blessed us indeed so richly. In Jesus' name. name Amen.
3: 6, we read, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats of his bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Wheat berries, or the kernels from, from the wheat by themselves, are not bread. If we are compelled to eat only the wheat berries, we will suffer for it. Wheat must be ground and mixed and kneaded and baked. It must be baked sufficiently before it is fit to be eaten. When we eat the bread that is, I'm sorry, when the wheat plant has been threshed, the straw and the chaff have been cleaned away and the wheat put in the granary, we may think that's all done, it's all taken care of. But the process has really just begun. The granary is not bread. People cannot eat handfuls of wheat berries and be nourished. Something must be done to that wheat first. Apply that illustration to the life of a sanctified saint. Afflictions after sanctification are, are not simply meant to purify us, but to make us broken bread in the hands of our Lord to nourish others. Many Christians are faddish and cranks when they are given out for distribution. They produce indigestion instead of giving nourishment. Christ Jesus was made broken bread and poured out wine for us, And he expects us to be broken bread and poured out wines in his hands for others as well. If we are not thoroughly baked, if we are dough instead of bread, we will produce indigestion for our neighbors. We have to be made into good, nutritious stuff for other people. The reason we are going through the things we are is that God wants to know whether he can make us good bread, which can be used to feed others. The stuff of our lives, not simply of our talk, is to be the nutriment of those who know us. Jesus Christ has prepared this table. It is his table. There are simple elements of bread and of wine, a simple gospel, Christ's body broken and his blood shed as payment for our sins. I invite you to welcome and come to Christ's table.
0: Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWingle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I dot com.